0: on maynard.com.au Hey you! Oh,
1: everybody hates me, everybody hates me. Shut up and eat the worm! Oh no, that killed my family! <laughs>
0: I have Richard Feidler in the Queensland studios, the ABC. Richard Feidler, hello, hello. Hello, Maynard. Lovely hey, to be with you. Look, I am talking to you because Das Capital is out on DVD after three or four eons, Richard. It's been a very long time in the works. About, I don't know.
1: Eight years ago or so, someone said, gee, it'd be great to put that out on DVD, and we all agreed, yes, yes, that'd be great. That'd be great. But it really took Tim Ferguson grappling with the issue with both hands to actually make it happen.
0: When you uh, first sat and did the commentary for the DVD, which is worth the purchase alone, I may say, people, that you sat down and you watched it again was a bit of, oh, what? There was tons of, oh,
1: what? <laughs> there was bucket loads of, oh, what? I don't understand what it is with Paul. This week he's a bloody Catholic. Last week he's a bloody Zinbist. Whoa, burst. whoa, whoa, whoa. Now look. Catholics are warm, kind and genuine people who have a lot to offer our society. But you're right, Zen Buddhists are total scumbags. That was a show that was, it was so ambitious. It was incredibly ambitious and it's kind of fun
0: to watch it to see that ambition. Of course, you had a question for Tim Ferguson. Tim Ferguson has set three questions for you and Paul, to which you must answer. I will answer them. What does the TV show Das Capital actually mean and what was it about? Well, the, the idea we had... <laughs> Tim said you would know.
1: I do know. I do know. I'm the keeper of that knowledge because everyone else forgot, but I remembered, even if no one else did. We tried to make this kind of anti-sci-fi, anti-whatever was going around at the time, because all the sci-fi that was going around was suggesting the world was going to be bleak in the future. It was Blade Runner, it was Terminator, it was all that kind of stuff. So we thought, what if we actually extrapolate on the idea that the future, everything's resolved, the end of history's come about, like everyone was saying at the end of the uh, 80s, early 90s, and that everything's resolved in this kind of boring market economic democratic model and there's no history anymore. So the world is really boring. And therefore, if there's no history, then all the artifacts of history would be no, no value. And therefore, it'll all be put in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean and we'd be
0: custodians of that. That was the premise of the series. How was history supposed to come to an end? Because the world had come to an end or people were just no longer interested in culture? People were no, no longer interested.
1: The idea was that the fall of communism, which happened around about you know, 1989, was, was all about, well, now the world is approaching this consensus, where we all think the future's going to be about market economics, liberal democracy, political systems. That's what we're all aiming for. Eventually, everyone will get there, and at that point, history will not progress any further. Oh dear, how wrong that was. Oh
0: yeah, and your show reflected that. Indeed. Richard Feidler, your, your image on the show, and also live in the Doug Anthony All-Stars, is most associated with kittens. And it goes something
1: like this. <laughs> Close your eyes. Yes, that's right, because that's the kind of sensitive guy that I was playing. But, of course, as you know well, Maynard, that was just a shocking inversion of who we really are. Oh, goodness. It was incredibly difficult. Oh, yes, God, I was so difficult, and and I was so cruel to the other two on the set when the cameras were off, and I would tease them all until they cried, Maynard. Whereas (laughs)
0: Paul McDermott, he was the real pussycat. Oh, was he what? Look, they think you're going to go home with him and he'll drink your blood, but you'll go home and he'll make you dinner. You know that little thing he used to do where he was crying and saying, I'm a little ballerina and no one's to dance with me? That's the real Paul McDermott. The real Paul McDermott coming out. You guys played to a lot of difficult crowds and you guys knew how to stir up a Scottish drunk crowd, that's for sure, in Edinburgh. What's the most aggressive, difficult crowd you guys took on and won?
1: That's an easy question to answer. Oh, and one. <laughs> okay, the one, the, the, the most difficult one was in an isolated mining town in the middle of the great sandy desert in WA called Telfer. This is a town that we were flown into that had no police but had a rule which said, as soon as a miner throws a punch, the police arrive from Marble Bar in a chopper the next day and you're, you're arrested and you're sacked. Four people got sacked the day after our performance there, Maynard. We were playing in a, in a kind of a little meeting hall that they had in this town, which was full of miners who, who were – there were kind of management types, but they were also miners. And the miners were often people who were on, on the land. They were people hiding out from the law in this tiny town in the middle of the desert where it would get up to like 50-degree heat during the day. And we had this front row of guys, of miners, to, to see our show, who – each one of them sat there with an, an ice bucket and a, a bottle of bourbon in the ice bucket. And they had pretty much had drained about three-quarters of it by the time we got on stage. So the time, by the time we got on stage, it was all – you know, it was all like that, and Unkind things were being said about us, and things were thrown at us, and I think we lasted all of 15 minutes, I think. Kind of a general Malay breakout? Yeah, pretty much a fight broke out. I got hit in the head by a bottle, as I recall, which didn't shatter, but it donked me. And and then another bottle hit my guitar playing hand, which just got a bit odd. Paul tried to do a thing in the crowd where he'd do this thing where he go to the audience and play around with them and be a bit aggressive just because that was kind of fun. But as soon as he tried that with one of these miners, he got up and screamed in Paul's face, I'm not a second class citizen. And at that point, Paul went,
0: okay, (laughs) all right. Well, take your word for it, buddy. Mm -hmm. That's where Patrick McGoohan went to, obviously.
1: I am not a number. I am a free man.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yes, all those years. Okay, well, that's the one you lost. What about the crowd that you thought you were going to die and you didn't? Uh, That was at the
1: Edinburgh Fringe, our first year there, in 1987 and... We thought we'd play at the Fringe Club. The Fringe Club was actually in the university um, student union building then. I think that's become the Gilded Balloon now. And the Fringe Club was also known as the Bear Pit. It was this kind of terraced sort of two-tiered area with a stage in the middle and this tensely, intensely um, hostile at times crowd that were quite drunk. A lot of students, a lot of Scots people in in the audience who would let you know how they felt about your act in, in no uncertain terms. And the, the actor went on before us, they were these Cambridge Footlights types, got booed off the stage brutally, had glasses thrown at them. So we made this decision before we went on, which was to perform without the PA, to just go acoustically, to sort of up the ante and hope they respected that, and just relied on pretty much our old busking techniques, which was to be hyper-aggressive and confront them,
0: but just do it acoustically. Amazingly, it paid off. It paid off big time. So everyone pulled down their shouting so they could hear what you were doing, and, and that also dropped the aggression level.
1: Yeah, that's right. And someone threw something at Paul, I think, up on the the terrace area. And as I recall, I've got vague memories of this, but I recall Paul shimmying up the pole, climbing up to the terrace, screaming at the guy and dunking a beer on his head, which got this round of applause from the audience. They respected that. I have to say, in in Britain, you know, if you had, you could have drunken, intense, violent crowds. But if they liked you, you could flip them round. It it doesn't happen in Australia. (laughs) You don't flip round. You don't flip them round.
0: No. And how
1: did you get booked for a mining gig in the middle of nowhere anyway? Well, that was part of this big national tour we were doing, and we thought it'd be kind of fun, fun, because we were playing around the north of Australia. We'd just been to Cairns, you know, across to Darwin, to Broome and Derby, and, you know, on the way, there was this town, so they wanted us. So we thought it seemed to fit in a place on the map. But, of course, the person who booked us into that place, our manager at the time, she didn't hang around. She didn't go into that town. She just kind of left us to our own devices. And, um, like I said, four people got sacked the next day, including the guy who was
0: looking after us, the manager who was looking after us. Where is the Doug Anthony book or the Doug Anthony doco or the Doug Anthony really cheap Hallmark Channel special?
1: That's a great idea, Maynard. I think that's a fantastic idea. You could cast it. Tim would produce Mm. it. Tim sort of made a couple of murmurings that he's writing a book about something or other. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's the book. You used to wear semi-paramilitary kind of gear. What gear will you be wearing for the new gig coming up? I'll be wearing – well, it's not a gig. That's okay. thing I should say. It's not a gig. It's kind of a, just a, it's a book launch. I've been trying to field off these things. Oh, the, the group's getting back together. We're, we're certainly not. No, we're just we're getting together for a DVD launch. So that's, that's what we're doing. There won't be any tour. There won't be any kind of getting the jackets on. It's going to get a bit sad and lame, I think, Maynard, all these years after the fact. We won't be wearing our, our costumes because we, aside from the fact that we gave them away to the Performing Arts Museum in Melbourne where they may well have not only self-destructed but contaminated a lot of the other costumes that are there. <laughs> Don't be a hero.
0: Don't be a fool in your life. Billy, don't be a hero. Come back and make me your wife. People might not know this. When you're on tour, you don't get to wash your costumes that often and it's more likely you just keep wearing the same costume night after night for a couple of hours. And after a week or two, that gets a bit reek. You're being very kind in understating
1: it that way, mate. In fact, they stank like the worst stink you've ever smelt in your entire life. It's like it's been peeled off a corpse that's been dead for two weeks is how the the costumes smelt. They smelt very, very bad indeed. They were not washed, not only for practical purposes because, you know, just impossible to wash while you're on the road, but also for ideological reasons because it was kind of nice to actually have that kind of smell offensive as part of what we did. There were moments when sometimes Paul would be walking through the audience and his jacket, needless to say, was, of course, the stinkiest. And a woman in the audience would go, no, you stink, mate. And at that point, (laughs) Paul would grab her in a headlock with her head tucked under inside his jacket under his armpit. And it was always amusing to watch from on stage because there'd be a lot of flailing about, frenzied flailing about, and then after a while they'd just go limp.
0: And what's it like to meet the guys back again, close together in the same room, much like in in, in any episode? It's terrible. Awful.
1: Awful. You know, they haven't changed. They
0: haven't moved on a bit, none of, none of them. They're still stuck in the hell of their own personalities, man. It's terrible. You asked me to ask Tim how come Tim was the only one who of the three who did not hurt themselves, like you and yes. Paul, had an injury filming Das Capital? He said that that was not the plan. The plan was for you and Paul to be killed during the filming. So, in fact, it did not go to plan at all. And how did you hurt yourself during the filming? There's a scene where you can see where we jump off the top of our rooms,
1: you know, onto the kind of main platform there and Ted couldn't quite get it right so we had to do it again and again and again and again and again. And again, I think I, we jumped up for that great high for about oh, 15 times, I think, to get that shoot right. And, of course... Leaping from a great height and landing on your feet to make a big bang noise. If you do that 15 times in a row, uh, your back's not going to be good after that. So I sustained a back injury from doing that. Cork thigh or hairline fracture of the ankle? No, I got a bad lower back situation after that, which I still have to look after today. But nowhere near as bad as Michael Petroni, who played Bob. Michael got burnt. Got a badly damaged eardrum. Oh, there's another injury I got too. There was a moment where we thought it would be kind of a great kind of Looney Tunes type gag to have Paul with a staple gun. He'd be stapling these butterflies to the edge of the, the table. And then when I said something that annoyed him, he'd turn around and staple one to my head. And the way we arranged this would work, Maynard, would be to have two staple guns. One would actually have staples in it. The other would not. Let me guess. And the one not clearly marked. Indeed. And so it came to shoot the scene, and Paul was going ka-ching, 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 trying to staple these butterflies to the table, wondering why they were falling down. Not really thinking too hard about it. Swapped them around and went ka-ching into my head. And I yelped in pain, and he actually turned around and said, oh, get over yourself, you know, big deal, come on, just a bit of pain. Oh! Oh, yes close yourself up from me i remember he was cut off in mid-sentence by the sight of two parallel streams of blood running out of my forehead where the staple had indeed perforated my head the sight of blood will shut up mcdermott to this day i have a butterfly staple to the top of my head as you well know maynard i, I disguise it with hats and makeup now tim tim, tim. Oh, oh sorry rich you know for one happy moment there I forgot you ever existed.
0: <laughs> the other cannot squirm out of them questions that Tim Ferguson demanded mm. I ask of you and Paul. I, I, I fear nothing. I okay. give, it, give it to me. Why do you like Tim Ferguson so much? He's a lovely man, that's why. He's a man of
1: infinite patience, charm. He also has this ability to pull jokes out of absolutely nowhere and make them just somehow materialise in the middle of the stage. You've got to wait for a while for them to happen, of course. (laughs) Too long at times. But he has that extraordinary, insane comic genius that allows
0: him to do such things. Also, Tim Ferguson demanded, I ask you, and Paul, how do you keep your trim figure? (laughs) (laughs) Tell him to go fuck himself, Maynard.
1: (laughs) All right, my answer to that is I, I do it through sheer mental willpower. I think myself thin every single day, Maynard, and it works. I'm putting out a book, by the way.
0: Thinking yourself thin. That's right, yeah. I think myself thin every single day. What's your favourite scene from all of *Dust Capital*? The thing
1: that still makes me laugh, it's a really dumb joke, but it's it's, it's so dumb that I still laugh watching it. There was a moment where Flacco plays an alien called Komahaha grr in it. Or, or is it brr Ad? I can't quite remember which one he was between him and Paul. Anyway, he's outside our submarine that's now become a spaceship. Don't ask me to explain that one. We're listening in and we can hear this tap, 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 you know, outside the, outside the door. <laughs> and Tim says, Sounds like Morse code. What are they saying? Open the Dook. Door! Open the door! Now, that's the dumbest joke in the world, but uh, I was pretty insensible for a long while after hearing that.
0: And what did you think about the reviews you got? Did anyone actually get it? I remember at the time doing stuff on Triple J and just going, yeah, these guys are doing something that's really out there. And the fact that it was out there, was enough for me. But for most reviewers, they probably went, what? Huh?
1: Huh? Huh? They hated it, I think. I think it was it was pretty much critically hated. Certainly the first episodes are, are rough. You can really see that. Because we're still, like any TV, you have to figure out how to make what you're making. And we tried something that was wildly, wildly overambitious. Of course, this is before CGI special effects. We're all trying to figure out how to make the series. The second series, I think, particularly is, is, I actually think it's much better than the first because we figured out how to make that such, a, such a show.
0: What were your inspirations for programs when you started? Were you, trying, were you using anything as a template? Was any shows Ernie Kovacs, any sort of, you know, what was inspiring you?
1: I think um, overtly it was things like Robocop, that was a big big influence on us. the kind of very very black futuristic humor of that was a, was certainly imprinted upon us. There are also things like the goodies I think was always hovering in the background there that kind of thing where plots could just progress at an insane level on this kind of illogical basis and that was would add a certain kind of lightness looking back there's a lot of this kind of you know Looney Tunes violence in it too so I think a lot of Chuck Jones is there to be honest. <laughs> Unconsciously, I think we all absorbed that kind of humour and sense of flow and pace and plot from Chuck Jones'
0: cartoons, Warner Brothers' cartoons from that were made in the 1950s. I asked Tim what was his favourite song. Is there one from the show that you would like to highlight as a nice song or a moment that is worth repeating now? Oh, yes. Goodnight, Sweet Prince. It's the one, I think, where Flacco comes to us as the baby
1: Jesus, as I recall. He starts out as a baby Jesus and becomes the Pope. That's right. At the end, he's assassinated. I'm not giving the plot away. As the Pope, as he's passing away, as he starts screaming, "Oh God, there's nothing there!" Which another blasphemous, horrible joke that I do I still find rather funny. Good night, sweet friends, and may flights of angels sing you to your rest.
0: As the shadows move across the lake, dream sweet dreams until you wake. Richard Feidler, mm-hmm. before we sit down and watch Das Kapital season one or two, what's the best way to prepare ourselves? Uh, very, very
1: drunk. Watch it with friends. That's, that's a really good idea. And, and probably listening to this interview while you're watching it at the same time it will aid the viewing of, of that series. And all
0: yeah, for example, anyone who was born in the early 90s knows nothing of it. How would you explain it to them? I mean, you explained what it meant earlier, but you had to be alive at the time to understand your explanation. Someone who's been born since then, how the hell would you explain Das Kapital? Well,
1: well, it's funny you should say that because the explanation I guess gave you about what the rationale was, it's something we sort of said at the beginning and then it never really entered into the show at all. It was just the kind of one way to get us into a submarine, essentially. That was the idea behind it. So you don't need to know any of that, of course, to, uh, to watch the series to try and make nonsense out of it because it
0: doesn't make sense at all. Three guys in an enclosed space taking turns annoying each other.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, like Gilligan's Island, we had to figure out how do we bring new people into the island that we're on.
0: Well, There's seemed to be no problems with that, no matter whether you were in space or under the water. There'd be a knock at the door. That's right.
1: Someone <laughs> would come in, like, you know, Gilligan's Island, a surfing champion
0: or a space alien or something, and we'd figure it out, yeah. Richard Feidler, Doug Anthony All-Stars, long may you reign, and good luck with Das Kapital. I really wish you guys would get back together, but that's never going to happen, is it?
1: No, it's not. Not with me and the group Anyway. God knows how desperate those two might get, though. You know, they, they love money so much, Maynard. They love money. So I might not be able to stop them. They may get, I don't know, someone who's 20 years younger than them, and probably a girl so they can look at her naked in the change rooms afterwards. That's my prediction, Maynard. I'd say an attractive young woman to replace
0: me as they tour. What I've loved the most about Doug Anthony Allstars is you lie like no other professionals in the Australian <laughs> music industry. <laughs> I'm going to put my hand
1: on my heart and say, we well, haven't told a single lie the whole time we were together, Maynard.
0: That's the best impersonation of Tim Ferguson I've ever heard. Talking to Paul as well? Yes. Yeah, so
1: just uh, bear in mind when you hear him talk, nothing he says is true. Nothing.
0: Not right, a bit I'll of just Maynard. say, fireless, says nothing you say
1: is true. Okay, and well. the guy worships me, so anything he says about me that may not be kind just won't be true because the, he worships the ground I walk on, Maynard. Angels sing you to your rest.
0: As the shadows move across the lake, dream sweet dreams until you wake. Here's a thousand kisses for your tortured brow. A thousand
1: arms to rest your tiny body Now, while
0: a thousand fingers reach
1: up for the bedroom light Hush, my gentle child, and draw the blankets tight Good night, sweet prince And may flights of angels
0: sing you to your rest
1: As the shadows move across the lake Dream, sweet dreams, until you wake. Lights of angels you to your ray as the shadows move across the lake. Dream sweet dreams until you wake. Dream sweet dreams until you wake. Dream sweet dreams until you wake. Dream
0: <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> On Maynard.com.au. Mm. Hey, you!